Dr. Jason Woods here, and this is the Little Big Med Podcast, where we're talking little patients, but big medicine. For today's podcast, I talked to two amazing, powerful women who were introduced to me by Mrs. Little Big Med. Allison Macklin and Daniela Fellman both work for Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains and are heavily involved in sexual health education and outreach, specifically in our youth population. This is such an important part of what we do in pediatric healthcare, and they graciously agreed to talk to me about some amazing initiatives they are part of, as well as some high-level learning points on how to talk to our patients and families about sexual and reproductive health. So my name is Daniela Fellman. I've worked for Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains for 12 years now. I got started as a freshman in high school. I knew I wanted to teach sex ed. And so when I was in college, I got to start volunteering at one of our health centers in Boulder. And then when I graduated college, I got hired on and I worked for our, I was a case manager for our prenatal plus program, but I knew education was where I wanted to be. And I stocked our education department and got in, so I've been there for about nine years. My official title is the Program Manager of Texting Initiatives, so I run all of our sexual health text lines and appointment reminders and anything text-related. And I'm Allison Macklin, and I'm the Vice President of Education and Innovation for the Responsible Sex Education Institute at Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains. That's a (laughs) mouthful. Um, And I've been with Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains for 14 years now. I started after I got my master's in social work and um, recognized that there was a lot of, in my own journey of growing up, a lot of things that I didn't know about sexual health and thought that that was really unfortunate and recognized in my education as a social worker that there's a lot of people going through similar stories. And so I wanted to help change that. And I wanted to have these two amazing women on to to talk about some things that we deal with a lot in the PZR, but I don't know that we address amongst each other very often or know of resources to give both to our patients or to their families. And, and Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains has a couple of initiatives that I think are really cool and I wanted to talk about today. So um, I'm wondering if one of you can start with the initiative called ICYC and what is it and, and how did it come to be? Absolutely. So ICYC stands for In Case You're Curious. That's our sexual health text line. It's geared for teens. And it's really interesting. The way that it came to be is that it actually was started by a couple of med students. So they brought it to us. They had this idea and they were like, we we want to do this, but we're not sure what the best way to do this is. And then it just evolved. So they graduated, but they didn't want to see the program go away. And so they gave it to us. That happened in 2009, I believe, that they brought it to us. And then the version that it's at right now, we've had since 2011, which is super amazing. So what what's the process like on the user end? So a teen has a question that they're not quite sure where to go with. What do they experience? So what they do is they text a keyword. So depending on where they are. So for Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains, we cover Colorado, New Mexico, Las Vegas, so Southern Nevada, and Wyoming. And so each of those states has their own specific keyword. And so they text that keyword in and they get they get a response that says success, go ahead and text your question. And then they can text any question. We'll answer almost anything. The only things that we really don't answer are like how-to questions because that's ah, different for everybody. Sure, fair they enough. have to talk to their partner. And and it, that approval with that keyword is that to, for them to know that somebody else has picked up their conversation is on the other end of the line versus if they had sent it out there and nobody was available at that moment? So they may not be available at that moment. Because we have live educators answering, we give a 24-hour window of answering. So that's just to let them know that, yep, we received it. Okay. And so 
when they text in, they'll get that success, go ahead and ask your question. And so that's their way of opting in. And then one of our educators gets on a computer and they answer it from there. And then it gets sent back to the teen through a text message. It's confidential. Uh, It's not anonymous because we want to make sure that our texters are safe. And so we do follow all reporting guidelines in all of the states. So if we need to get a phone number, we can. We have a security line, but um, it's confidential. And reporting guidelines as far as still being a mandated reporter that Mm -hmm. needs to report things like potentials for abuse or assault. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, And that keyword also helps us to, so because it's isolated to Colorado specifically, then we can answer um, questions specific based on Colorado law as well. So making sure we're following the appropriate reporting policies and laws in Colorado. Um, so that helps us to funnel and then also make sure that the information we're giving is really specific, as, as specific as we can make it for that individual. That makes that makes absolute sense. This is the question that I'm most anxious to ask you is, what are some of the best questions that have been asked? <laughs> Give me examples of things that teens have sent in that, that, that caregivers might not otherwise know are questions that they have or things that we should think to answer. Yeah. I mean, it, it's we get a lot of you. I don't know if this would surprise you or not, but our most common topic is around penises. <laughs> um, so when we go and we look at like, we can keep track of what our most common topics are. So like penis size, what's normal, things like that. Um, and then next is a, is healthy relationships. So really wanting to know um, how to talk to someone that they have a crush on, how to talk to a parent. And I think one of the most surprising things other adults might find really surprising is that teens actually want to talk about this stuff. And so a lot of questions we get is, well, how do I ask my doctor about this? Or how do I, how do I talk to my parents about wanting to get on birth control or getting tested? Or how do I, if I ask my doctor, are they going to tell my parents? And we always, always try to respond with um, talking to a trusted adult, but sometimes they may not have that trusted adult. And so sometimes you know, you are that trusted adult for them. And so knowing that they do want to have these conversations, even if maybe they're a little hesitant at first. And that's generally been my experience in the ER too, is is most teenagers, especially when I kick their, whoever their supervisor is out uh, and ask them questions very openly, they usually tell you what you want to know. And they yeah. don't give you all the detail or know exactly what words you're using. But it's not very often that I have to dig super hard to get them to want to, to give me some information about things I need for their health. So Absolutely. Um, I think that that has surprised me that they're more honest and open than I anticipated they would be. Yeah. I mean, they want this information. This is good information for them. They, you know, being able to trust our youth with the information. And sometimes even as sex educators, we're like, oh, can they handle this? This is medically accurate, age appropriate information, and they deserve to have that info. Right. I think that's such a good way to put it. Um, So do you you have any formal evaluation as far as numbers for how often it's getting used or by how many different individuals or or what the the pattern is as far as time over the years? Absolutely. So we, I keep track of all the numbers each month. This past month, I actually just ran our numbers. We had about 690 people text in. Does that number seem to be increasing over time or are we stable from the last couple of years? It, it is increasing. It ebbs and flows. I mean, a lot of the work that we do is in a classroom. And so, you know, during the summer, we do see our numbers kind of dip just a little bit just because we're not in the classroom as often. But some of our other regions are doing a lot more 
health fairs or summer fairs or pride, things like that, where they're passing out. So we might see in Las Vegas where they're not allowed to be in the classroom. They do a lot more. Summer's a little bit busier for them. So Las Vegas, we'll see their numbers pick up, whereas Denver, we might go down just a little bit. Unfortunately, Las Vegas has one of the largest school districts in the country, and it's all one school district. And they passed a policy that they make sure that all sex education happens in-house. They don't allow any external providers to come in. However, um, unfortunately, they're not doing a lot of sex education. Um, the only people who are allowed to do it are the nurses in the schools, and a lot of those nurses don't have time, don't have resources, or just don't want to. So basically what's happening is nothing when it comes to sex education in the Las Vegas school district. That's unfortunate, and I don't I don't ever totally understand all those policies because it turns out the internet exists, and <laughs> uh, and teenagers are going to get access to some information somewhere. It's probably beneficial if it's if it's accurate rather than whatever they, they can get their hands on. So that's always really surprising to me as a as a focus. So moving back specifically to ICYC, is there any chance that you have collected some of these best questions and responses and put them out anywhere? Or is there a place that our listeners can go to to see a list of frequently asked questions? Because of all of this extensive work, and we've been doing this line since 2011 um, really extensively, We've collected a number of questions that are really commonly asked questions, and we actually are in the process of writing a book about those questions. That's fantastic. Um, so that'll be available. Um, we're, we're still writing it, so it'll be available hopefully in a year in the fall. So look for it in 2019, but love to come back and talk I on your, on your podcast is there it. is there anywhere else right now where you are posting some of your favorite questions? Do uh, you have a social media feed? We do. We have an Instagram account. It's called In Case You're Curious. And we post some of our most common questions or some of our most fun questions from that week. And it ranges anywhere from questions about puberty to pleasure to am I normal? Yeah, there's there's a ton of different questions. And then our educators are super creative. So then there's fun little pictures to go with it as well. That's what makes, I think, and I haven't mentioned this yet, but one of the things that makes ICYC so unique is that the people who we have answering are actual educators who are in the community teaching. So in order for someone to answer ICYC, they need to be out there teaching. So a lot of our educators have spent at least a year in the classroom teaching, answering tough questions. We're really proud of that. And so it's just an extension of the classroom, which is what we love about it. Yeah, this is their focus. And I, I, I love that this resource exists. Uh, on the the maybe less positive side, just from a societal standpoint, how often are you getting questions that are clearly fake or intended to troll you? And, and how do you approach those? So we answer all questions, no matter what. We get those tester questions a lot. They might send us a tester question like, my penis is stuck in a ceiling fan. What do I do? Yeah. Um, which we refer them to you. Yeah, I was going to say, um, that, that sounds like an ER visit, not a yeah. text line visit turn off the power, <laughs> go to the ER, you know, whatever. Um, but what, what we find is that even if they send one of those tester questions or one of those kind of maybe not as real, sure, um, they and they see that we're actually going to answer it, then they actually do follow up with like, well, my girlfriend and I need EC, where can we go get it? Or what is, you know, my boyfriend asked me to give him a blowjob, like, what is that? that? You know, EC meaning emergency contraception? Yes, emergency contraception. Absolutely. So the majority of the time, even if we get one of those like joke texters, we answer it, we take it seriously, we answer it. And then a lot of times we find that they come back 
Um, I do think sometimes we get texts from parents trying to see if we're maybe telling their teen how to have sex or how to like get around getting birth control without them. One, that's what help. That's why it's helpful to have educators who are actually in the classroom doing right. this because we know how to handle those questions. And, right. you know, we stick with the facts, you know, in Colorado, you do not need parent permission. And yet talking with a trusted adult about your sexual health can be really helpful. So being able to to get them the information that they need so they can get the resources that they need, but also understanding that talking to a trusted adult, really, there is some And that, help. I think, is the message that we often give them in the ER, too, is, mm-hmm. is again, Colorado state law, if you come into the ER seeking uh, reproductive health care, then I, I can provide that without specifically notifying your parents. So it's its own separate thing. But it's I think it's helpful if, if you have somebody that you can trust in your life that can help you navigate that. Yeah. And then the realities of the fact that, especially if you're on your parents' insurance, they're going to get a bill. Right. And they still have access to your medical records, at least the way the system is currently set up. And so it's not an entirely anonymous protected thing. So let's talk about how you might might let them know what's going on. Right, absolutely. Um, and that's where ICYC can come in is to help with, you know, some of that, those front end questions so that when they get to the doctor, they kind of know some of their rights or know what questions to ask, things like that. So you mentioned that this this resource is, is very much targeted towards adolescents. Mm-hmm. What about resources for a parent who might have some of the same questions or know that their kid is asking these and has no idea how to answer them? That is such a great question. Um, we recently, this past October, launched a line specifically for parents. It's called Talk. Um, and they, parents can text in questions or adults who work with youth, um, can text in questions and we can help them navigate those conversations because a lot of times, you know, adults may know how to answer the question. They know what sex is, but how do I say that to a 10 year old or how do I, my child's asking where babies come from? Like, how do I explain that? And so what makes talk unique is again, with that keyword, we know that this is an adult, um, or we assume that this is an adult. And so we'll give a little bit more background to be able to help them navigate why they would answer the way that they would. So instead of getting one text, maybe they get two, you know, we can expand a little bit more. Because again, you know, we're encouraging youth to have these conversations. A lot of times that's one of the barriers is parents aren't quite sure how to have those conversations or adults who work with youth. And so we can help break that barrier by giving them some tips and tricks on how to have those conversations. I mean, I already have to leave the patient's room an embarrassing amount of times to go look things up. So this is just going to become <laughs> one more resource. For, I'm in the middle of shift. Like this kid asked me this thing and I have no idea what to what to answer with. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and if you think about like Dr. Google, you know, if you Google anything about sex, Urban Dictionary is usually one of the first mm-hmm. things that comes up. And just like WebMD, everything is cancer. Like on Urban Dictionary, everything's a sex position and it's not always medically accurate. Right. And so... Um, ICYC can be that, that like, eh, let's talk about that. So let's move on to the Responsible Sex Education Institute. And, and Allison, I wonder if you could tell me what that is, or I guess tell our listeners what that is, and, and again, how it came to be, and, and what sorts of resources are provided. Yeah, so the Institute has been around, um, we've actually, it's a fancy name for our education department, really. Um, We wanted to brand it and really um, help people to understand that Planned Parenthood is a major resource in the education field. 
by branding ourselves as the Responsible Sex Education Institute, we really are putting ourselves out there as the experts in sex education, kind of tells people Im- immediately what kind of sex education are. we provide, which is responsible, which means that we provide information that will help a youth throughout their life journey, whether they're sexually active or not. The phrase that I, I believe I've heard you use before is age-appropriate, medically accurate information, which which I love that, that designator because it removes a lot of the social and cultural stigma from the information that you're providing. That's right. And age-appropriate is... And, and sex education, when we talk about age appropriateness, sex education isn't one conversation. It's a lifetime conversation. So there's even sex education that happens with young people. And, and we're talking, you know, preschoolers, kindergartners. And it's, again, when age appropriate. So when you think about what, how are you talking about sex education with a preschooler or a kindergartner, you're talking about, you know, you're thinking about potty training. And so um, how do you keep your body safe? And what are the proper words to call your genitals? And then, of course, as you grow older, there are things that you're going to add to that base level of knowledge. So when we talk about comprehensive sex education, it really is the stepping stone for a lifetime of positive sexual activity. So that leads us into what sorts of services or education do you provide? We do a number of things. So we work with um, primarily middle school and high school aged youth in a classroom setting. Um, But then we also train teachers and other youth serving providers. So we can even come in and train doctors or we can work with counselors, coaches, thinking about all of the trusted adults in a young person's life who have the opportunity to positively influence and have really great conversations with the young people. Because sex education isn't just simply talking about contraception or talking about anatomy or even talking about how to say no to sex. It's the whole gamut of how to respect one another and how to um, respect each other's bodies, how to have conversations with a partner or someone you have a crush on. What does consent look like and how do we get an enthusiastic and positive consent? Sex education is just, it's so much more than I think what a lot of people immediately think of and it's condom use and here's a condom and go, now you're protected and do the things. And even thinking about sex education for our senior population. So, and it sounds like some of the education is not, I think I went into this conversation assuming that most of the programs that you were bringing on were direct teaching to the child or the adolescent, but it sounds like there's also teaching the teachers. So how, how can they go about doing this uh, and providing the correct information? Absolutely. Um, And while it's great to have us come in and to provide an evidence-based education program that maybe lasts two weeks and and we can see how much of an impact that we have on an individual and we know that there's behavioral changes that can occur as far as increasing condom use for those who are sexually active or um, delaying sexual activity for those who have not yet um, become sexually active, if we have a teacher who is trained in this information and they not only give that education, but then have that point of contact with that youth throughout their high school or middle school career, um, and, and the youth can know that they are a trusted person to go and talk to, or ask questions, find resources, the, um, the benefits of that sex education program are exponential. Going back to, you know, what you all do, you have the information. And so one of the things that we can support with is how do you make that digestible to the young people? And so part of those trainings that we do is not only about, you know, helping some people get the information to be able to have those conversations, but also how do we make that that language 
stick and how do we kind of break it down a little bit to make it a little bit more digestible for those youth. Um, yeah, one of our best skills is is taking a simple concept and naming it in a very complicated way so right. that nobody else understands what we're talking about. Right. It's one of, one of my top jobs. <laughs> and we can help break that down a little bit. Um, and we also launched a line on ICYC um, specifically for youth-serving professionals. So if, if youth-serving professionals are coming to these trainings, then they also have a text line later on that they can – follow up with. So if they're like, oh, how did you say that we would answer that? Then we can support them that way. One thing I did want to make sure that I got to on our discussion is some questions about our LGBTQ patients and their specific health needs and questions. Can you help me to understand what specific language and terminology I should be using and any particular needs that these patients may have that are missed? When we think about LGBTQ health, um, there is part of wanting to honor the person, absolutely, and their orientation. But there's also part of them that it doesn't matter if they're LGBTQ or if they're heterosexual. They, it's the behavior that people need to learn about. So if they're engaging in anal sex, they need to know how to be safe with anal sex. All people different kinds of people, whether they um, identify as gay or heterosexual, can engage in that particular behavior. And so when we talk about assumptions, we can't assume that just because somebody identifies a certain way that they're automatically engaging in a certain kind of behavior. And so in order to help understand what the real health issue may be is asking about those particular behaviors and less about whether a person orients a certain way. So I think that that's, that's one thing. But, but obviously, wanting to be cognizant of how you're referring to a person's significant other. And so using language like partner and never making an assumption um, around a marital status, helping a person if you have like an intake form and letting that person write in how they like to identify. If you think about transgender health, I think that that's particularly an area where People really want to be cognizant of how they're addressing their patient. And so to think, to let that person self-identify, what are their pronouns? And um, and recognizing that just because they're using a certain pronoun or they're talking about a partner in a certain way, that does not mean, it does not, it's not a formula where X plus Y equals X, Y. I was never a math major. Let's just put that out there. <laughs> it, it doesn't, but, it doesn't indicate uh, any sort of specific behaviors. You need to dig right. a little bit further to understand what that actually means for them. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think most of the pediatric providers out there that I know, every one of us has a story about uh, being burned by making assumptions and not actually asking sort of who puts what where to, to get at what, what sort of risk factors do I need to know for disease? I don't really care behaviorally, socially what you're doing. I care from a medical safety standpoint, and that's the only reason I want to know. But if I don't ask, I can't know. Right. Can you recommend any additional resources for our medical providers or the patients and their parents about how to talk with each other about these topics that are often a little bit hard to even get started on? I actually have a book coming out this fall. It's called Making Sense of It. Um, and it's a book about sex for parents and teenagers to read together. I mean, not like, you know, over each other's shoulder, but, you know, there's conversation starters and things like that. So I think that those resources absolutely exist. Um, but things like GLSEN, it's a great organization. It's for, for parents and teenagers, and it's around LGBTQ 
issues. Scarletine is a great organization that people could look into. Planned Parenthood Federation of America has a ton of information for both parents and teenagers. Um, so just to spend some time on that. There's another organization called Amaze. Um, it's A-M-A-Z-E. Um, they have produced this great line of short videos, especially for middle school-aged young people. But, you know, parents can watch it too, and it's really informative. Yeah, I was going to say Amaze. Sex, etc. is a great resource. I am a provider who specifically only deals with the pediatric population. I am embarrassed that I do. I've never heard of any of these resources. That's okay. They're, they're, the good news is that they're out there. I think that that's the, the biggest message and the biggest takeaway is that you're not alone. And there are people who, who know how to have these conversations and are out there and wanting to help. Okay, so we are just about to the end of our time. Is there anything else that you wanted to get to today to let our listeners know about that we haven't touched on? Um, I, one thing about Responsible Sex Education Institute that I want to bring up is we also have done a, a ton of work with people with intellectual and cognitive impairments. And so we've been doing a lot of sex education, healthy relationships, safety, things like that, specifically with that population. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Because that population <laughs> is known to be at, at higher risk for things like intimate partner violence. And I didn't know that that was part of the institute. Yeah, we over the last five years or so, we have... Uh, seven years or so, we have really worked hard because we know that this is a population that is typically either the assumption is that they're asexual or non-sexual at all, um, or that they are hypersexual. And so, you know, either we're not giving info because they don't need it, or if we give them info, it's going to blow up. Um, and that's not true. Everybody deserves to have a sexuality I'd love to talk to you more about that topic because I don't think that's a population that I often think about providing specific sexual health information to, but sadly our time is at an end. So where can our listeners find you if they want to get a hold of you or they have some additional questions? Yeah, you can find me emails probably best. So my email is allison.macklin at pprm.org, which is, I'm going to spell it out, A-L-I-S-O-N dot M-A-C-K-L-I-N at P-P-R-M dot org. And I'm, you, same thing. You can Well, I'm not the same thing. I'm not Allison Macklin. I'm Daniela <laughs> Fellman. Um, so you can find me at daniela.fellman at P-P-R-M dot O-R-G. And, and I'll link to both of those perfect. in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> I wanted um, to spell mine out because I've got the one L. I know. It's it's, it's a, a little bit confusing. It's a minimalist Allison spelling, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is great. And um, I do too. People usually give me Danielle. And it's, oh, it's Daniel it's, with an A. Yeah. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. <laughs> um, any other resources or anything else you want to plug before we go? So if you would like to try out ICYC, so on Instagram, um, it's in case you are curious. And then uh, to text ICYC, you would text the keyword ICYC to 57890. And that, unfortunately, was all that we had time to get to. Allison and Daniela had so much additional great information to give us, and I'm going to have to have them back. I will list all of the things that they mentioned as far as resources in the show notes, as well as link to Allison's new book that's coming out, which I have had the fortune to be able to read an advanced copy of, and it is fantastic. You can pre-order it on Amazon, put the link in the show notes, and then they graciously listed their emails if you have any additional questions or would like to find follow up with them. 
I've been your host, Dr. Jason Woods. Please keep the conversation going by finding me on Twitter at jwoodsmd, via email at littlepatientsbigmedicine at gmail.com, or at the Little Big Med website, www.littlebigmed.com. Don't forget to head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. It really helps others find the podcast. This podcast is recorded in the studios of the Digital Scholarship Accelerator at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. 